Amen. Thank you, praise and worship team, youth, children. You are dismissed to the back. It's finally opened again. <laughs> Woohoo! And adults, I encourage you to go back there and check it out and uh, see what's been taking place back there. It looks like a whole new place. I mean, it's just amazing um, what's been done. If you have your word tonight, and I'm going to do my best to get through this, go ahead and turn to Mark chapter 12. We're going to be covering verses 28 through 34. Mark chapter 12, verses 28 through 24, and the message is titled tonight, The Great Commandment. And I'm going to go ahead and start reading. And one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, and perceiving that he had, an ans- had answered them well, asked him, Which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is none other commandment greater than these. And the scribe said unto him, Well, master, you have said the truth. For there is one God, and there is none other but he. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the soul, and with all the strength, and to love his neighbor as himself is more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. And when Jesus saw that he answered discreetly, he said unto him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. And no man after that does ask him any question. Wow. What a portion of scripture, and I know it's been a while (laughs) since we've been here, Um, so just to recap, we're still in the last week of Jesus's life leading up to the crucifixion, Uh, and so here we have a scribe that has come to Jesus. He has been present the entire time, so he heard the Sanhedrin uh, with their disputes. He heard the Pharisees and the Herodians with their disputes uh, and the Sadducees, But he also saw that Jesus answered them well, right? We know that none other even believed a word that Jesus had said, but this one, this scribe, came to him not uh, arrogantly, not uh, sarcastically, but he came to him uh, with a sincere heart, asking him a question, A sincere question. There was no malice or ill ill will towards the Lord uh, in this. Which commandment is the most important of all? Uh, Which one would you say is the greatest? And we know just in studying the book of Mark, that's always been a thing with the disciples. It's always a thing with us. Well, who's the best? Who's the greatest? If you have kids, uh, if you've ever worked with kids, they always want to turn everything into a competition. Um, I'm laughing looking at Kylie because they were at the house and they decorated cookies. And I had to judge the cookies because they wanted to know whose cookie was decorated the best. And I said, I hate doing that. Don't make me do that. They're all good, right? That's typical mom answer. That's what we say. They're all good. Everybody's a winner, right? No, tell us. We, we, we need to know it. And this was something that was very common uh, with the Jewish people because in case you didn't know, they had come up with 613 Uh, commandments, 613 laws that they had to keep. And so um, 
365 of them were negative and 248 were positive. Um, and they were constantly reviewing these laws, trying to come up with which ones do we really need to concentrate on in keeping and which ones really aren't that important. Totally missing the whole point of what the law was for, right? Man had come up with 613 laws, so they were constantly driving themselves crazy uh, trying to figure out. And uh, so Jesus himself appears to acknowledge this in Matthew 5, 19. Um, did I give you that? Okay, <laughs> where it says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and shall teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. But whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. We know now, thank you, Lord, that when he died on Calvary's cross, he fulfilled the law. Why? Because you and I could never do it. We could never keep it. Can you imagine the weight of trying to keep 613 laws every day. I can't imagine. Uh, I, I know me, and I would have no hair, or it would all be completely white. I would be a crazy lady trying to count and make sure I kept them all right because I've always been a do-gooder, right? Which has gotten me no good in life <laughs> at all. It's been the complete opposite. But we find in verse 29... Um, the answer right here, we've got to love God for who he is, plain and simple. We've got to learn to love the Lord for who he is. See, Jesus responds kind of quickly and to the point, the most important is, and he then quotes what was found in Deuteronomy 6, 4, and 5, and this is something that the Jews would uh, recite every day. This was, and I'm probably going to say it wrong, it was called the Shema. Um, they would quote this every day. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. And again, this would fall into a law. They would have to recite this every day to be sure, I guess to, to remind themselves that there's only one God, right? And then it would go on to say, And thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart and with all thy soul and with all thy might. Exactly what the Lord here is saying again. He always, and it blows my mind, the word himself always confirmed himself with the word. So how much more should we go to the greatest lengths to be sure that what we're a part of, what we're uh, availing ourselves to, what we're allowing to come in our ears and, and what we watch, that it lines up with the word of God. If Jesus, the word himself, always reference the word, how much more should you and I be doing that uh, in our lives? So this confession, again, was recited every morning and every evening. Uh, and it was as, to put it in perspective, it was as important to Judaism as the Lord's Prayer is um, to us, how the Lord would say, and when you pray, and we pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, so it first says the Lord, meaning Yahweh, our God, Elohim. Uh, the Lord, Yahweh, is one. And this is the heart and soul of the Hebrew faith and even of Christianity. We believe in three distinct personalities, but one God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. A triune God. We're not worshiping three separate gods. Some people will say that. But no, one God. You've got, if you miss 
Yeah, if the foundation's wrong, everything's wrong, right? We've got to be sure we've got that. Yahweh, he is the covenant name given to his people. Yahweh is our God and only our God. We have no other. Yahweh is one. He is one in essence and existence. He alone is God and there is no other. And this is a powerful statement. You may come in contact with people, I know I have, uh, who believe in oneness, uh, United Pentecostal Holiness. And they don't believe in the Trinity. And, uh, and I'm not going to get off there, but you've got to know what you believe. Because oneness sounds pretty close to what we believe. But it's not what we believe. We believe in a triune God. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Um, so that's a powerful statement. We should love God because of who he is. We should love God because he is our God. And what kind of God is he? Well, hear the words of the second um, greatest confession in the Hebrew faith, and it's found in Exodus 34, 6 and 7. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abundant in goodness and truth keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, and that will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and upon the children's children and to the third and to the fourth generation. That's how good God is. That's the God that we serve. That's the God that we love. And we love him because he's God, plain and simple. We've uh, miss the whole meaning of the word love here in this portion of scripture. This is talking about agape love. And I say this all the time. We, we have little understanding of agape love because we will in one breath say, I love tacos, and then we'll say, I love God. And it kind of lessens the, the meaning, right, of the word love. We need to, to be sure we understand what love is truly is to love God is to obey his commandments and his statutes all the days of your life. To love God means you will teach these commandments to your children. This again is found in Deuteronomy. Uh, it says that when you sit, walk, lie down, rise up, remembering he is the God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, you shall not go after another God. Right? The God of the people who are around you. For the Lord, your God, is in your midst, and he is a jealous God. See, we can allow life, we can allow circumstances, situations, and other gods are erected in our life. Very quickly before we realize it. A lot of times it's a job. Um, maybe it's a hobby. You know, I, I don't know. But it happens. That's why it was so important in Judaism to say these things each and every day to remind themselves of who God is, right? We've got to constantly, that's why in the New Testament it says to renew us in the spirit of our mind. We need to do that each and every day. Why? Because life happens. Things creep in. Just as Jason and I talked about on our Bible study on Tuesday, unaware, things come in, unaware. And then by the time we realize them, uh, realize it's there, a lot of time we've already drifted so far from where we thought we were. So we've got to be on guard at all times. In verse 30, 
It tells us that we've got to love God with all we are, right? Uh, and, and it's not by coincidence that he uses the word all four times. Um, anytime you see a word repeated in a scripture, you know it's for emphasis. He wants to get your attention at, at what he's truly saying. And the, the word all, and we say it all the time, we're no Greek scholars, but the word all means all, right? <laughs> Plain and simple. The word all means all. It's talking about all of our hearts, speaking to our emotions, the real me on the inside. Exodus 20, verse 3, and I know I'm going fast. I'm trying to get through this. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Tonight, I want you to be honest, and I want you to ask yourself, Lord, has there been little G.O.D.s erected in my life that I've put before you? Things that have taken away from my walk with you? It happens. It can even be good things. Good things. That's how the enemy works. He's deceptive. He deceives us in thinking we're good because we show up and we do this and we do that. But where's our heart? We're to love him with all of our heart. The second thing is the soul, and it speaks of the spirit, the self-conscious life. Psalms 42, 1 and 2 says, As the heart panteth after the water brook, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. My soul thirsteth. For God, for the living God, when shall I come and appear before God? Are we really thirsting for the Lord, for the things of God? I think of the very first course that I learned uh, when I joined the Foursquare Church, which coming out of the Baptist Church was like really something for me. And it was, as the deer panteth for the water, so my soul, right? longeth after thee. I loved that song. I would write the, the words to the. I remember sitting in chemistry, writing the words to that song. And I was supposed to be writing down chemical equations, and I'm writing, as the deer pants for the water. And I think, God, I want to go back to that time when I was truly thirsting for you. My spirit was thirsty for you, Lord, and he'll take you back. He'll restore the joy of your salvation. You just have to ask him. talks about all of our minds speaking to our intelligence and our thought life. Now, I'm not getting uh, into psychology with this. The Lord has given us a mind. He's given us a mind for a reason, right? 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 tells us, For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. You see, the majority of our problems take place in our mind, <laughs> right here between our ears. That's where most struggle, that's where most live their life defeated, miserable. Why? Because they haven't done what 2 Corinthians 10, 3 through 5 tells us. We have power and we have authority through the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we can cast down those imaginations. Everything that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ, we can cast it down in Jesus' name. 
It has to obey. And I'm not naive enough to think that nobody in here has bat- not battled in their mind, even maybe even while you've been in here. Because this is where the enemy fights you the hardest. Trying to erect things in your mind, imaginations, scenarios, th- just thoughts, crazy thoughts in your mind. You've got to take them captive in the name of Jesus. Allow this word to wash your mind, to renew your mind. And then lastly, with all your strength, speaks to our bodily powers, perhaps even our will, right? Romans 12 and 1 tells us, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Lord, I'm giving myself back to you. My life is not my own. I've been bought with a high price, Lord. I'm giving myself back to you. Whatever you have for me, Lord, that's what I want. Whatever dreams, whatever desires, whatever uh, agendas that I have, Lord, I'm laying it at your feet, Lord. And right now I want you to come and I want you to, to take me. And I lay myself on the, and guess what he'll do? He will consume you. Anything that was laid on the altar was completely, thoroughly, fully consumed. Nothing would be left. And that's what he wants to do for you tonight. He wants to consume you. You see, it's easy to see how these kind of overlap in our personalities, right? Uh, Ferguson says this, God is never satisfied with anything less than the devotion of our whole life for the whole duration of our lives. And we were meeting with Terrence and Melissa, and I said this, and when it came out of my mouth, I was like, wow, that's true. Because, you know, sometimes the Lord will just say things, speak things through you. That it's not just a moment in time that he leads us and guides us. He's continuing to lead us and guide us. He doesn't just want us the day that we bowed our knee and said yes to him. He wants us each and every day. The entire duration of our life, he's got places to take you to. He's got things to reveal to you, plans, promises, peace, joy, rest. But have you given him your entire life? Or did you just give him that day back whenever it was? You know, there's a difference. He wants our whole duration of life. You can ask yourselves these questions. Is the Lord the all-consuming passion of my life? Do I have a deep, intense, and abiding affection for the Lord? Am I loyal to the Lord with an exclusive love only for Him? Do I resist and even oppose anything or anyone that seeks to do my Lord harm? That's a big one. Because a lot of times we become tolerant. And we allow things to come into our lives that we know are not right. We allow even conversations to take place in our presence. And the Lord's given us a voice to speak up and to say something, to correct with the word, and yet we stay silent. That's got to stop. Because trust me, if somebody were saying some, and I can say this with full assurance, if me and Jason were somewhere and somebody started bad-mouthing me, he would probably end up in jail. Well, shouldn't we do the same for the Lord? 
Sage asked me that. We were talking about something that had happened. Well, what do you think Dad would do if somebody did that to you, Mom? I was like, well, we'd probably be going to bail your dad out of jail, all right? <laughs> oh, if somebody pushed you. We were reading something about somebody pushing a, a woman uh, in a store. And the husband went to jail because he, like, went crazy <laughs> on the guy who pushed her. But shouldn't we be the, the same? Shouldn't we be that protective? Shouldn't we be um, that way about the Lord? When somebody begins to speak things and say things that aren't true, we should stand up. I'm not saying go look for a fight, but speak the word. Speak the truth. That's all you have to do. Just speak the word, right? Am I zealous with grace to defend my Lord's name and honor? Do I enjoy spending time with the Lord? Do I do things that please the Lord and increase his joy? Do I brag on the Lord to others? Do I tell the Lord that I love him? And do I talk to the Lord as much as I can? See, these are all things that, gosh, we make it so difficult, but really it's not. All day long, we've got access to the Lord. And we can talk to him, we can commune with him, and he will talk back. He will. He will answer us. And I want you to remember that these are not things that we do to get God to love us. These are things that we do because we are loved by him and because we love him. Right? That's why we do these things. These things are a result that he first First John 4.10 Herein is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be our propitiation for our sins. Wow. Think about how he loves us. Shouldn't we strive to love him the same? 31 through 34, this is where the command comes to us. It's our responsibility to love others. It's a responsibility that we have. See, um, so often the case, Jesus gives us more than we ask for. He always gives us more than we ask for. And the scribe that day wants to know what commandment is the most important. And Jesus responds by telling him that there are two that go together. There are two that kind of hang together. Why? Because how you respond to the first, our loving God, will determine how you respond to the second, loving your neighbor. You show me somebody who loves the Lord, they're going to love people. And when, somebody, and when you don't see that in somebody's life, when you don't see them loving their neighbor, loving others, that should make you wonder, do they truly have a relationship with the Lord? Those are the two greatest commandments that the Lord has given us. And when you obey the second, it will give evidence that you've embraced the first. You don't have to say anything else. People can look at how you treat other people, and they'll know if you love the Lord or not. They truly will know. In other words, loving God and loving my neighbor are twins that are never to be separated. Tim Keller says it so well. He says, Jesus shows us that love actually defines the lawful life. And he shows us that the law actually defines the loving life, right? When Jesus says all the laws boil down to love God and neighbor, he is saying we've not fulfilled a law by simply avoiding what the law prohibits, but we must also do and be what the law is really after. Some people think it's just good enough to 
dodge the, the sin, right? To do the right thing. No, do you have a love for others? That's what's important to the Lord. And it should be important to us. See, such love is legitimately selfish. Jesus talks about in Leviticus 19 and then again in Deuteronomy, and I don't have time to go to those scriptures, of the love for God, I love those who have been created by God in his image. And uh, neighbor, the word neighbor here is not used in a restrictive sense. It's talking about all of humanity, even our enemies. We are commanded to love. Right? We're commanded to love. Somebody, oh, Christine, uh, well, I don't have my phone up here. She sent me a little thing today, and it says something to the effect of God loves Kamala. He created Joe in his uh, mother's womb. And then says something about Trump. And people, we've got to remember that. The same Lord and Savior that died on Calvary's cross for you and for me did it for them too. And I've said it before and I'll say it again. We get so wrapped up in the vote. Well, you need to vote like me. You need to vote like me. We need to be praying for people's hearts. Because if the heart is right, the vote will be right. Plain and simple. Our number one goal is to see the lost saved. If he can save me... He can save anybody, right? Because he died for all. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And if we think that we were any better than any of those, when we were a sinner, we're wrong. Because we were lost and undone and on our way to hell, just like any other lost sinner. If he can do it for me, he can do it for them. And that's what we've got to be believing the Lord for. Some people hear the phrase, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, and they think, well, how uh, narcissistic is that, right? Jesus, the unselfish one, actually tells me to selfishly love myself. No, that's not what it's talking about. We make sense of that by realizing that there is a healthy kind of self-love, right? And for us to hate ourselves is really to hate the Lord because we're created in his image, we have to have a healthy love of ourselves. Thank you, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for my body. I thank you, Lord, for my life, for everything that you've given me because you've given it to me, right? We love ourselves like this. And that, uh, secondly, the love uh, a person naturally has for himself is now turned outward towards others, right? We can't love anybody in the way that we should if we don't truly love ourselves, we can't. We absolutely can't. So the more truly um, I love myself, the more I will deny myself and love others. To love my neighbor as myself means I will serve the needs of others with all the energy and passion and zeal that I have, right? However I would attempt to meet my own needs, that's, that's how we should attempt to meet the needs of others. You're not going to sit at your house and go hungry, are you? But your neighbor might be. And sometimes we got to get out of our comfort zone and, and check on people and love people and make sure they're not sitting there going hungry. We would want somebody to check on us. Right? We're born-again believers. We should be sharing and showing the love of Christ. No wonder Jesus said, 
There's no greater commandment than these. This is it. Um, and it's a true sacrifice. That kind of love is a true sacrifice. The scribe responded with delight to the Lord's answer. First, he affirmed Jesus, right, with his confession. Um, and, and this was good. He, he, for once, and this was the last person who questioned the Lord, and finally someone agreed with him. Uh, he confirmed the monotheism of one true God. He affirmed the, the love, the devotion, and worship of God, and he's worthy to receive that. And then he adds a little insight there in verse 34, the last verse. And he drew a, a, a phrase there of, of praise and applause to the Lord. To love God supremely and our neighbor genuinely is much more than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. It kind of clicked in his mind. Wait a minute. All these things that I've been doing, all of these rituals, all of these ceremonies that I've been going through, didn't amount to anything if I don't love my neighbor. <laughs> if I don't truly love the Lord and truly love my neighbor, then all the rest of it's in vain. You can come to church, you can speak in tongues, you can shout your shoes off, but if you go out and you're mean to people... It's no good. Don't do it. Why even bother? The Lord's not going to honor it. He's not going to bless it. That's a fleshly act that you're participating in. And I'm afraid there's a lot of that that goes on. More than sincere and true worship of the Lord that takes place. See, religious rituals always must give way to the superiority of right relationship with God and others. Even the most sacred of religious rituals and service don't trump the love for God and for others. They have no real meaning or significance at all unless they're expressions of our love for Jesus. 1 Samuel 15 and 22 says, And Samuel said, Hath the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to hearken than the fat of rams. Then it goes on in Proverbs 21, verse 3 says, To do justice and judgment is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. We get caught up in the sacrifices, in the rituals, coming to church, even reading our Bible, doing, you know, the good things, and yet we, we miss it when we just fail to obey what the Lord is telling us to do, to love him and to love others. Those are the greatest commandments that there is. Hosea 6.6, 6, For I desired mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. If we're just trying to find something to do, to take up time, more than we're consumed or concerned with just knowing who God is, then we're missing it. We're completely missing it. Our one desire is to know him. To know him, to truly know him. And when that happens, when that takes place... Everything else is going to fall into place. We're going to love others. That's why it says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. He knows what he's doing. 
There is an order in the plan of God. And we've got to get back to our first love. We've got to come back to him and just simply say, we love you, Lord, right? Obeying rules and regulations will never get me into the kingdom, right? He tells them, he says that you were close, right? It's kind of that having a form of godliness but denying the power. Doing everything right, but you're still not there. Why? Because that's not going to do anything for you. Um, We need a new me. We need new hearts. We don't need to be a better me. I need to be a new me. I need to be made new. 2 Corinthians 5.17, we know this. Um, For we walk by faith, 5.17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. See, I need to draw near to the one who has brought the kingdom of God near to me. I don't need to just be close in proximity as this scribe was. I need to draw near. Tonight, you need to draw near to the Lord. One draws near and enters the kingdom by a relationship with the Lord that results in loving God first and foremost. And then in turn, you'll love others genuinely. So tonight, I know I kind of hurried through that, but I wanted to get through it. But he just wants your heart. That's all the Lord is ever concerned with, pursuing our heart. And he wants, uh, he, he desires to hear from us tonight that we love him, that we just simply love him. Nothing delights him more than that. And as we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. And I know we've already had an altar call, and and it was great, and it was wonderful. But tonight, if just for a moment, we're just a few minutes past eight, as the music plays, if you just want to say, Lord, I love you. Lord, I love you. And just kind of affirm that to yourself. Lord, I'm going to draw near to you, Lord. And as we do that, he reveals things to us that we're able to lay at his feet, that he's able to just wash away, wipe away from us. He will do that. He wants to do that tonight. So if you will stand, and as the music plays, if you just want to come just for a moment and spend some time down here just telling the Lord that you love him, please do so.
the thought of that, that our words could be a sweet sound in the Lord's ears is so humbling, right? I think that was the second praise chorus that I learned when I entered the Four Square Church. That's why I didn't want it to stop, because those words are so true, and the Lord loves to hear from his children that we love him. Don't you love for your kids to come up, I love you, Mommy, I love you, Daddy. It's the same thing that the Lord has for us, his children, just to tell him that we love him. Lord, we thank you tonight, Lord. I thank you, God, for the work that's taken place, and I know it's going to continue, Lord. I thank you for the word that's gone forth, and we know it's not going to return void, but it's going to accomplish what it was set forth to do, Lord. Oh, to sink deep in our hearts, Lord, to produce good fruit for your kingdom, and we'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Don't forget, if anyone can paint a couple doors before Saturday, uh, come see us. And if you would like to carry some chairs tonight, we need some help doing that. Uh, we love you guys. We'll see you Saturday at 7.